Let's talk about Fela Kuti's blue plaque being unveiled in Shepherd's Bush. Let's also discuss Agnes Wanjaro's unsolved murder in 2012. What about Yunoma Muhammad's new Naifasi Deluxe Detangler Afrochrome? And a whole lot more. This is Pablo from Hackney, and this is Pablo's podcast. Thank you for choosing Pablo's podcast today. Welcome. Lack of direction, not lack of time, is the problem. We all have 24 hours a day. Zig Ziglar. So, it is episode 79, still here sparking debate. Last week, unfortunately, I lost my voice. I could not believe it. I could not believe it. Just before recording, pretty much a few hours before recording, totally lost my voice. Nothing was coming out, even though I was trying to speak. So that's never happened to me before. Um, And obviously now, being a podcaster, it is a significant, it makes a significant difference. So yeah, so, so yeah, that's what happened. That was my, that was my thing that I have to, I had to endure. But I'm back now, so we're all good, and we're, we're back on it, good to go. So we are, now we, well, it's a, this is a culmination of last week's and and this week's now. Um, so yeah, so we're into November, you know, end of, end of October into November. So this month, coming up November, we've got the 2nd of November, which is... Um, the coronation of Emperor Haile Selassie of Ethiopia. So that happened on the 2nd of November in 1930. And we also have on the 3rd of November the Dominican Independence Day, which is 1978 um, on the 3rd of November. So, yeah, some, some significant dates coming up this week. But I'll come back to the Empress Haile Selassie um, part later on in the pod. But first, I want to start off um, talking about Dave Chappelle. I've, I think I've said it before in the pod, he's my favourite comedian. He, I think, actually, I can honestly say he is my favourite comedian of all time. Um, his comedy is... It just ticks all the boxes all the way around. And he's intelligent as well. He comes with some intelligent comedy. So anyway, now I've given him his, his flowers... Um, the LGBTQ community are enraged at his last um, his last special, the closer. Um, in that in that one, he's, he said um, he said things like gender is a fact, and um, LGBTQ people are too sensitive. So obviously, this caused caused rage. Um, there's even been like small protests outside um, Netflix headquarters in Los Angeles. Um, so yeah, there's been a major, major backlash, major backlash. Um, but you know, hats off to me. I said, you know, to those people that want to cancel him, he's willing to to meet up with them. Um, uh, he's, he said he's not willing to be um, to be summoned, you know, and, and things like that. But he's willing to sit down and have a talk with the LGBTQ community and discuss um, their issues with his show. Um, which I think is, you know, is only right, you know, if people are upset, you know, sometimes you do things and you, you don't realise how they're going to impact people. Um, 
And I think the best thing you can do in that situation is say, look, let's let's sit down and talk. Let's see where we where we meet, you know, on things and, and where we disagree, you know. And it might end with them both agreeing. <clears throat> it might end with them both agreeing. It might end with, um, you know, uh, we agree to disagree. Who knows? But yeah, I think it's um, I think it's good. So yeah, I look forward to hearing how that actually all plays out. To be fair. That'd be interesting. So also, um, Felicuti, founder and originator of Afrobeats, he will be having a blue plaque unveiled on November the 1st at 112 Stanlake Road in Shepherd's Bush, where he lived in 1958 um, when he came to the, came to the UK to um, study music. So yeah, momentous event. I know they were campaigning to get him a blue plaque um, for a while now, so it's, it's finally happening today. Haven't heard too much about it, you know, across the media and whatnot, but, you know, it is a thing, and, you know, we should definitely celebrate, well, we, they are celebrating him by giving him a, a blue plaque, but, um, yeah, they should publicise it, but hopefully throughout the week it will probably come up a bit more, and, yeah, it will be recognised for what it is. So that is, yeah, that's coming up uh, on the 1st. So, um, Michael Jordan's trainers, wow. His trainers, the trainers um, that he wore. When did he, he wore those? He wore those in his first season um, in uh, playing for the Chicago Bulls in 1984. 1984. Them trainers have now gone on sale and fetched 1.1 million for a pair of red and white Nike Airships. <laughs> wow. Wow. 1.1 million for old trainers that he thoroughly wore out during his, his time in 1984. Yeah, um, I tell you what, like I, I said it before, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you've got some stuff that, you know, it, you, it might be nothing to you at this point, but you end up doing something in the world that's, you know, groundbreaking and legendary. And these, you know, the most... Throwaway things can be worth millions and millions of pounds it's in the future. It's crazy, but yeah, um, I don't. Even, I'm not sure if that's a world record. It might be a record. I think it is a record actually. Um, but yeah, 1.1 million for old pair trainers. Salute to you, sir. Salute to you, Michael Jordan. Salute to you. So um, also, there's a. I found out about Black History Cruise that happens in London. Um, three hour cruise. Didn't know about it. Um, but it sounds really interesting and it sounds like you could learn a lot in that next in that three hours. Probably be a good trip for um school kids. Maybe they should yeah, maybe the teachers should be should pick up on this and, and take some kids on a trip to get a three hour insight into um you know, black history in the UK. So basically it's a cruise along the Thames and goes from Temple to Greenwich, um, showing black um black African Caribbean history um, throughout well, all along the Thames and obviously they elaborate on the stories I think they even have people dressing up as various characters as well so they really make it a, um, a really eventful experience which is really good um, but the cruise covers like uh, African Romans ancient African art engineering um, black Spitfire pilots the sugar warehouses ivory trade African Diamonds, um, African Odyssey on the South Bank, the Apartheid Millennium Wheel, 
um, stuff around Nigerian oil, just loads of stuff, loads of stuff, too much stuff to mention, to be fair. But um, definitely worth going to check that out. I mean, I'm not sure how often they do it in the winter months, um, but I know it's, it's definitely a thing. But you can check it out uh, more on, where is it? Uh, blackhistorywalks.co.uk. So, so yeah, and they, they look at the, what the other thing they look at is um, the Palace of Stolen Goods, West India Docks, Canary Wharf, um, and its African roots, um, King's College and the Caribbean Connection, Guy's Hospital, and who really paid for it, things like that. Um, Tate and Lyle, the Sugar Girls, a whole plethora of stuff, but definitely worth um, checking out. Definitely worth checking out. So I learned a few things. I mean, obviously we're coming out of Black History Month, um, so there are a lot, of, a lot of new things I learned about, um, and yeah, so it was, it was definitely an interesting month. Every Black History Month, I learn new things, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm glad when I hear that you know certain schools are bringing it on the curriculum um, throughout the year, just not through October. Um, I just look forward to how you know, having conversations with young people that have gone through the school system at that age and, and, you know, how they develop and how much confidence they have in their self and, you know, understanding who they are and where they come from. So I, I think it's a, it's a really good thing. But like I said, I benefit from it every year. Um, but, yeah, one of the people I learned about this year, amongst many others, was uh, Marshall Major Taylor. So basically he was a, um, an American track cyclist um, who dominated dominated the track cycling scene in the nineteen eight in the eighteen hundreds and the early nineteen hundreds, um, and actually John Legend's production company are making a film about him, um, a biopic um, called the Black Cyc- the ba- the Black Cyclone. So I'll definitely be looking out for that. But um, but yeah, he's you know he's he's a known person in America. Maybe they know a bit more about him in the US, but I'd never heard of him, and I'm. I've got into my bike riding over the past few years, so it's it's quite timely hearing about a you know a, a black legend from the past who dominated um, the biking scene. But there was recently a mural unveiled for him in his hometown of Indianapolis, um, and yeah, so they definitely recognise him over there. He he um, went on to make history, winning like the, the bicycle sprints um, event in eighteen ninety nine, become becoming the world champion, um, well, within the world championships in uh, Montreal, in Canada. Um, But it would be about a century um, before uh, another cyclist, another black cyclist would claim the title. So, so yeah, big gap, you know. But again, maybe these gaps wouldn't be as wide if people knew that somebody that looked like you had done this before. You know, there's there's a lot to be said about that. You know, seeing somebody like you doing it, you know, before it makes a hell of a difference. You know, but he, obviously the time that um, uh, Marshall Major Taylor um, was about, there was a lot of racism, etc. And he, he even um, one of the competitors after he lost to um, Taylor in Boston actually choked him out until he was unconscious. You know, so. He had to deal with a lot of um, racism, physical, verbal, and, and everything else. So, but yeah, but at least we know of him now, Marshall T- Marshall Major Taylor. So earlier I said I was going to just elaborate a bit more on Emperor Haile Selassie of Ethiopia. 
because um, he, like I said, his coronation um, come up on the second, comes up on the second, the anniversary of it is the second of November. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, you know, his, his words still ring out, you know, in, in, um, in Bob Marley's song, War, you know, and it, his words still ring true today. So if you don't know the lyrics of that song or the lyrics from that speech, go and listen to Bob Marley's song, War, because that's literally um, Haile Selassie's um, words. Um, but yeah, so Haile Selassie being the 225th descendant of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. So, you know, this is an African um, emperor who, you know, can see his bloodline fully, you know, for going back that far, you know, through his time when he was alive, and which is a powerful thing. So it doesn't, it doesn't um, surprise me. Um, that he moved the way he did in, you know, I mean, he wasn't a, a saint by all accounts. There was, you know, the, some people do have um, negative things to say about him as people do about anybody. Um, but the way how he moved, you know, as, as a king and as an emperor, um, you know, it, the fact that he, you know who you are, you know, you know your bloodline, you know, and that's something that is absolutely eroded and missing when you deal with, um, you know, people of the who are descendants of slaves in the Caribbean or Brazil or whatever, wherever we are on the planet, you know. But, um, but what I really like about Haile Selassie, his title, his title, like I, don't, I haven't heard a title that beats his full title. So his full title is Haile Selassie I, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Conquering Lion of the Tribe of Judah, Elect of God. Now, if that is not a title, <laughs> if that is not a title to be saluted and, yeah, totally respected, my goodness, that is a title, man. So, um, yeah, I love that title. It's big. I, I haven't heard a bigger one to this day. But, yeah, um, but like I said, it's the anniversary of his coronation, which took place in um, St. George's Cathedral in Addis Ababa in 1930, alongside um, Empress Menen. Um, but yeah, definitely a, a, an African icon, for sure. African icon, for sure. So another um, person of legendary status, not as big as Haile Selassie, but um, legend, legendary status nevertheless, um, Len Johnson, a Manchester boxer, um, born in 1902 in Clayton, Manchester, born to an Irish mother, and um, his dad was from Sierra Leone. And, um, but, you know, growing up in those times, you know, boxing wasn't as straightforward as it is now for, for boxers. You know, people get their, their props and, you know, get title fights and, you know, get all the accolades, you know, what they deserve now. But back then it was a little bit different. So he, he had, I think they say he had like 135 professional fights um, with with 95 wins, 36, by the way, a knockout. Um, and, yeah, he, he, he got a little bit disheartened with the, with the bigotry and whatnot because he, I think in England he was... He beat, he beat the UK champions, but he was never allowed to get a title fight because he was black, basically. Um, so he got a bit disillusioned with the UK, went to fight in Australia in 1926, beat somebody called um, Harry Collins in Sydney, um, for the vacant British Empire, which is now called the Commonwealth title. 
um, and he won on points. Um, came back to the UK and the authorities still refused to recognise um, his Empire title victory. So, so yeah, um, it's it's really sad that you know these people didn't get their accolades at the time. But I think it's really important that we we speak about these things, you know, because this is this is part of boxing history, it's part of British history, it's just part of world history, you know. So um, I think it's really important to to acknowledge acknowledge these things and after all these people probably still got family and descendants that live here and obviously they can you know feel I don't know some kind of plus the fact that people talk about their ancestors in a positive way and give them the accolades that they should have got at the time um but yeah there was so I think what they say there was like a great anxiety you know um in 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 the in the UK amongst white British people um, and basically they they didn't want to they didn't want to uh, see the sight of a black man beating a white man in the boxing ring is what they've said um, this this is what's been written um, and yeah for fear that it might in, incite rebellion and things like that you know so they're putting in that colour bar in place um, that basically stipulated that um, in order to fight for a title fight both the, the fighter had to have two white parents. So somebody who was mixed race, they, you could say they had half a chance, but they didn't even have that. You know, one white parent wasn't good enough. So then you have people that were, that were fully black, they had no chance, you know, so, and that's, that's how it went on. And there was other boxers, obviously, that had to deal with that. There was a boxer, um, Cuthbert Taylor. Um, he also, he had like 250 official bouts in his career. Um, and yeah, he was. Uh, his father was um, Liverpool-born man of of Jamaican heritage, but his mother was Welsh, so he was he was mixed race. But again, you know, between 1911 and 1948, um, you had to have two white parents, so he didn't get the accolades he was supposed to get. So yeah, it's just it's just sad but true, you know. And it's history, you know. We. We just have to recognise it and, and appreciate what our young boxers are doing now and are able to do going forward, you know, because they, they, they're doing that on the shoulders of these um, past boxers. So let's not forget that. So also, you know, the politicians, you know, black and, you know, ethnic minority politicians, you know, are doing it on the shoulders of... Um, politicians that only a few decades ago, it was only 1987, I believe, um, when the, the first um, black members of parliament, four of them came about at the same time, but that was the first time in 1987, and that was um, Diana Abbott, who was also the first black woman MP, Paul Boateng, um, Bernie Grant, the first ever black leader of a local um, authority in Europe, and Keith Vaz. So, you know, Diane Abbott is still in business. You know, she's still an MP. But, you know, these people, not so long ago, they were the first to do it. You know, first to be in Parliament. So, regardless of your politics, I think these are things that we definitely should not forget. You know, and we should, we should hold these people up high for being the first to do it. Because they, when you think about it, there was no template. You know, there was nobody that they could see doing it. So, as I was saying earlier, it's... It, it does make a big difference when you can see somebody that looks like you doing something in the world. It lets you know you can do it. So you have to take your hat off 
you know, twice as much for those that had no template before. And, and you know, they were the forerunners, the, the forebearers of it. So, so, yeah, hats off to them, for sure. So, also, I learned about um, the Beatles' mentor, um, Harold uh, Lord Woodbine Phillips. man I've never heard of, never heard of him. Um, he, he was once described um, as, they described him as the... The beat in the Beatles, I think they wrote up about, um, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, he was basically the early mentor for John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Um, and, yeah, he was kind of bit, kind of airbrushed out of uh, history in that sense, and also airbrushed literally out of a photo um, uh, of the band and, and um, him in Germany in 1960. So in 1992, he, he was invited to... Um, go and see a play about the Fab Four at um, the Liverpool Playhouse, and he and then he saw the picture airbrushed out, and obviously, you know, he he felt a way about that, you know. Um, but yeah, but his name is spoken about now, and you know, he's given his place in history as as the mentor for these legendary musical acts, you know, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, you know. So so yeah. So it's it's good to know these things. Like I said, we you know, black people, black British people have have a very colourful and extensive history and um and yeah, it's we just need to speak about it a bit more. And create new history as well. It's not just about the past, it's about creating new stuff too. Um Okay, so back to the corona side of things, because we are still in a pandemic, even though it doesn't feel like it in, in many ways. You know, it doesn't feel like it in many ways. Um, but in Tongo, the first, um, they've had their first case of coronavirus, Tonga, um, which is near New Zealand. Um, and yeah, basically the, the infection was detected um, by somebody who was fully vaccinated um, and then was, they were being um, re, repatriated back into the country from New Zealand. Um, so as a result of that, I'm not sure how big Tonga is. I don't think it's that big. But as a result of that, um, the president said the island may face um, lockdown from next week. Um, but yeah, Tonga is one of the last countries to have not reported any COVID infection. So just goes to show we're, we're all in this together. It doesn't matter where you are on the planet. It looks like it's, it, it's coming to, well, it's getting to everywhere on the planet. And yeah, there are still, I want not sure how many how many places on earth still have zero infections that'd be interesting to know but yeah but um all the countries are off the uh, england's travel red list even though the it's still in place you know that system is still in place so things can be added to it in the future but as of um next week there's there's nobody on the red list so that means people can travel um, and they won't have to quarantine and pay that quarantine bill um, when they come back, which was absolutely extortionate. Um, but yeah, but you still run the risk, I suppose, of you know going away and then while you're away hearing that um, you know the people are back on the red list, countries are back on the red list. So still a little bit of a gamble. Still a little bit of a gamble. And also, um, they've now spoken about um, having a Delta Plus um, variant. Um, um, I think they said it's not more transmissible or they're not too sure 
um, or things like that. But um, but yeah, it's here. Um, they do. They say there's no evidence that it's causing uh, worse illness. They have said that. Um, but yeah, they, but and the scientists are confident that the existing vaccine should still work with it to protect people. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, the the mutations um, will will you know continue. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and obviously, they they go by letters of the alphabet now. So the next variant, the absolute brand new one, it will be E. Yeah, it'll be E. So. I wonder what they'll call, call that one. So, um, sadly, um, Colin Powell um, passed away. Um, he was the former um, US Secretary of State, um, and he passed away from COVID um, complications aged 84. So, condolences to his family um, and friends. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember, you know, during his time when he was working with um, George Bush. At that time, it would have been. Um, yeah, he, he became the first American, uh, African American uh, Secretary of State in two thousand and one. So it was really noticeable, you know, that there was a black man in, in the, you know, positions of power. But obviously, since then, we we went on to have um, Barack Obama. But obviously. He was the first blackface I remember in 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 that in the White House, etc. So, so yeah, again, um, thoughts and prayers with his family. Um, also in the UK as well, sadly, um, we've had um, a few murders um, of young people um, in Brentwood. There was uh, two sixteen-year-old boys. Um, two sixteen-year-old boys died. Um, there'd been multiple arrests, um, three men aged 19, 20 and 21 still being questioned in relation to the death. So thoughts and prayers got to those two 16-year-old boys who lost their life. Um, yeah, never never good, never good when anyone passes, especially these young people. Um, and in Ilford as well, on the 28th, um, 18-year-old um, young man, um, Cameron Khalid, um, also lost his life as well. A 15-year-old boy's been charged with his murder. So yeah, many lives um, lost, many lives ruined um, over this this last couple of weeks. Um, so really sad. But my thoughts and prayers got to all involved. So um, Wilfred Zaha has been the latest um, footballer to have to deal with racism again on social media. Um, you know he's 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 somebody that's you could tell he's a real mindful and, and thoughtful individual. You know he's he decided not to continue taking the knee because he, he he found that it, it, you know he wants to see more change, not just symbolic change, which is absolutely fair enough. You know, um, as as a black man, you can make those choices. You know, and he, he understands it in a different way to others maybe, but that that's his choice and that's how he's gone about it. But he is, um, you know, he's just pretty much said like all of all of this stuff that's going on, from the racism to the to the um, bending of the knee. I think his words are, "I'm not, I'm not here for all the nonsense that's being done instead of fixing the actual problem." And you know, who can fault that? You know, it's, it is about solving the problem. All the gesture stuff, you know, it's good. 
um, it keeps things in conversation and, and I think people should still do that. Um, but also there should be people like um, Wilfred Zaha talking about let's actually get to the fixing of the problem as well as everything else. So I hope that, um, you know, they, they get to the bottom of the, you know, the people that are, you know, racially abusing him online. I think, I think Instagram have said that they want him to report each individual uh, comment that was sent to him, which I think is a bit of a liberty um, because they've got enough technology to deal with that. But maybe they're looking at it like, you know, you're one of many, you know, although you're a footballer and you're famous, um, you have to go through the same protocol as, as everybody else. And maybe the truth is nobody should have to be, you know, looking through all the racist comments directed at them and, and reporting them individually. They've got enough money and enough technology to do automated things that deal with that stuff if they really wanted to. So, so yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, who owns the company, that's something for him to look out for. But we'll speak about him a bit later, and the stuff we'll speak about a bit later really shows how big and powerful they are and, and how much they, they could do. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Welcome to Pablo's Podcast. Join me on a weekly basis with social commentary on current affairs which affect us the most. Come and muse with me. What you can expect is uplifting, positive discussions, interviews on our social, physical and cultural well-being. Voicing some of the perspectives we share but maybe don't vocalise enough. I'll be going through my bucket list of interviewees over the coming weeks. You're guaranteed to get an honest, authentic perspective and insight into what's going on now. If you like what you hear, please click the subscribe button, please share on your social media apps, and please leave a review. Look forward to spending some time with you over these coming weeks. Thanks for joining me. Take care. Some great news. I spoke about this a few previous pods over the past months um, but basically Cambridge University um, has handed back um, the looted uh, structures that they that were stolen looted um, from Nigeria from Benin so there was a there's a famous cockerel um, statue known as the as the Ukuku I think I've spread I know I haven't said that right Ukuku Ukuku, yeah. <laughs> it's spelled O K U K U R. But yeah, I probably I probably pronounced that wrong. But either way, it's now been um, it's been now been handed back. Um, it was taken by colonial forces in eighteen ninety seven um, and given to the Jesus College in nineteen oh five. But uh, a decision was was. was made in 2019 after students campaigned um, that it be given back to Benin so thank goodness that's going back home to where it should be and I'm sure there's lots of other things that need to make their way home as well and I'm sure that will come up over the coming weeks and months but it prompted me to um, look into some other artefacts and bits and pieces that you know I, I, I wonder if they'll ever made their way home probably not but um 
So the star of Africa won, which is the largest stone. Um, and it's also known by, um, it's the largest stone. It's like 530 carats, 530 carats. It's um, also known as the um, Cullinan one as well. Um, and basically this stone is the stone that's mounted in the Queen's scepter. So if you look online, um, for the biggest stone, you'll find out that's called the African Star, and you'll find out that it's in the Queen's Scepter. Um, and then there's also the Cullinan II, which sits in the um, in the Queen's Crown. So I'd really I'd be interested to hear the story of those stones, how how those stones came to be in the crown, because I don't know that story. But considering it's you know the largest stone ever found. Um, and the Queen has it, and it's from South Africa, I believe them stones are from. Um, yeah, this, that story would be a riveting story for me, personally. So, yeah, I just thought that, that was an interesting piece of facts there. So, um, on a more, well, a serious note, um, and a... And a you know, considering all of the things that happened with, with um, you know, with the murder of the young lady by a police officer, these these next couple of things, and they just be, seem to be coming more and more frequent. So, um, a Met officer has been um, charged with rape. PC Adam Zaman, 28, um, based in the East Area Command Unit, um, charged uh, by the City of London um, on the 27th of October, and he's been remanded in custody. So he'll be appearing in Westminster Magistrates Court. Um, I think he may have actually already appeared. I'm not sure what, what happened off the back of that so far. But, yeah, he's still in custody. So, yeah, so there's that. And there's also um, uh, another police officer charged with sexual assault, um, serving officer, um, and he's charged with it's his historical um, sexual offences against a child. Um, he was a student officer, PC Joseph Powell, um, accused of uh, sorting a child under 13 by touching them um, in 2009, between 2009 and 2011, um, and also faces um, further charges um, for accessing information on the police computer. So he's due to appear um, at Coventry Magistrates Court on November the 10th. Um, and then also you've got um, detective and a detective um, at Greater Manchester Police um, charged with um, child sexual abuse offences. Lee Cunliffe, um, 40 years old, um, based in Salford, um, charged with 11 offences. So, you know, that's a lot. This is a lot and it's, it's, it's just coming more and more frequent. And I, I can't... Imagine that this is just all happening now. You know, I, I, I find it bizarre that it's just happening now. It just happened to be happening this year. You know, these, these things happening so frequent. I, didn't hear, I haven't heard about stuff like this um, throughout the past decades, two decades, three decades, etc. So it just, it's just odd to me that all of this is coming about now. I don't know what's changed, but yeah. I don't know what's changed, but um, but either way, it's, it's just repugnant, um, disgusting, and and and, and I, I just said lost for words. 
just lost for words. Um, but I'm glad these people are um, being, you know, brought to justice and, you know, I hope they, they receive the full, the full extent of the law. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, these, these child sex offences and, and stuff like that, it's just a lot of them, a lot of them going on. And there's also, there was another one as well, um, Detective uh, Francois Olawage, 51, um, who is attached to special op- specialist operations, um, was arrested in Basingstoke, October the 28th. Um, he's been remanded in custody as well. Um, he was due in court on the Friday, the 29th of October. So we'll, we'll find out how it goes. But yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's like one after the other, one after the other. Um, so yeah, I think it's been recognised that it, over the past three years, especially, there's been a sharp rise in police officers facing uh, abuse or, you know, of their position um, through sexual purposes, etc., um, and yeah, so the Independent Office of Police Conduct, um, they're, they're onto it and they've, I think they spoke about between 2018 and 2021, 66 officers um, and members of police staff have faced disciplining proceedings. Um, and maybe, I think they had 42 police uh, officers uh, coming up in court over that last year alone. You know, so... So yeah, something something needs to be done. Something needs to change. Um, yeah, I think it. You know, uh, Cressida Dick is 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 in position. I mean, she she's got some questions to answer. I know there was a uh, people were asking for her to to leave and and resign, but that is not happening. You know, they've 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 signed her up again. But if she's going to be there, these questions need to be asked. And and moreover. What is going to be done about it? That's that's really the conversation I want to hear. What what is actually going to be done about it? Because we we know it's definitely happening. So yeah, um, yeah, definitely something that will be playing out over the coming months and weeks on this podcast for sure. So um, Quinton de Kock, um, South African keeper, um, cricket player, um, he's expressed his apologies over refusal to take the knee. Um, and says that he's not racist. Um, he, I mean, as I, when I heard the story originally, it's, it sounded a little bit off. I think, I suppose, because he is white, because he's South Africa, and because he's not taking the knee. So you can kind of, that kind of leads you, well, it led me to a biased way of thinking, if I'm honest, because I thought it was kind of done and dusted once I heard that. But after looking at it a bit more, it seems like, Part of this issue was being forced to do something at the last minute as well and not having any choice in it. And I think that's, it sounds like that's what he really was up against um, more than anything else. Because it turns out that he is, um, he comes from a dual heritage family. His stepmother is black. Um, so he's, he's fully aware of, of the struggle of black people and, um, and things like that. So, so yeah, it wasn't as it seemed initially when I first heard it, and the way it was being reported as well. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know the man's politics and whatnot, but the fact that he, you know, is of, you know, comes from a dual heritage family, his stepmother's black, and, and the, the way how the bending of the knee was forced on him at the last minute. Um, and it was like pretty much, if you don't bend your knee, then you're not playing. And, you know, 
so I can I can see how he may have um, how he may have felt in that scenario. So yeah, so that was um, an interesting scenario. But I think what he's said since then is that um, if it's gonna um, benefit, you know, benefit the world in 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 any way or you know support the cause, he has no problem in in, in taking the knee to do that. But it was just the circumstances of how it came about. So we'll see if he if he's true to his word um, as time goes on. But yeah. So um, some really great news. Um, a an inventor, um, a, a lady um, based in Swansea, um, Yumana Mohammed, um, launching an innovative uh, new comb for Afro hair. Um, and she basically she wants her experience to um, get young, inspire young black women to get into engineering as well. Because currently, two um, percent of engineers um, are women from ethnic minorities. Only two percent, so there's plenty of room. Um, but she 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 was um, she was doing a, a PhD in physics, and when she first got the idea um, for the Nifasa Deluxe Detangler. Um, which has proven to be an easier way for combing and conditioning um, Afro hair. But yeah, this this black woman has, you know, she's obviously she's got natural hair. She's a woman that keeps her natural hair, so she knows all the problems involved. And she, because of her skill set, she's decided to um, invent a new comb to help out ladies and men, I suppose, with really long hair, long, thick hair. So... So yeah, that will be on the market soon. So I look forward to purchasing that for my, for the females in my family, especially my daughter um, and my son as well. To be fair, he's here is probably longer than hers. Come to think of it, but yeah. So um, so yeah, hats off to her. Hats off to her. You Yumana Mohammed. Remember the name. Okay. So also um, Camilla, um, the Duchess of Cornwall, um, done a really really um, heartfelt speech um, over the past week in regards to, you know, the, the abuse of women, the murder of um, Sarah Everard um, and the other, many other women um, that, have, that have died at the hands of men. But her speech was really, really empowering, um, especially the part she spoke about, um, we need to get we, she said, we need to get uh, the men in our lives involved in this movement. We, don't, we, don't, we do not in any way hold all men responsible for sex and violence, but we do need them to all be on board in tackling it. After, after all, rapists are not born, they're constructed. Um, she also went on to say, um, and it takes an entire community, male and female, to dismantle the lies, words and actions that foster um, a culture in which sexual um, assault is seen to be normalised um, and which, in which, yeah, she, she went on a bit more. I don't want to butcher her speech, but she, she, the way how she spoke about it, um, it was really powerful, really, really powerful. And, and yeah, I, I can, you know, I can make some comparisons with her speech with other things, but maybe, you know, at this point, I'm going to, not even elaborate on that, but I just think it was really powerful the way she spoke about certain things in that. And I could see how the same sentiment could be used in other things that affect um, our communities. But yeah, definitely listen, listen, listen to the speech. Um, maybe you can hear 
what I could hear, how it could be used to deal with other things as well. But yeah, really powerful speech. Um, and really timely as well, because all, all this stuff that's happening with, with um, you know, all this spiking, spiking of drinks and in, injecting women in clubs and stuff, it's, it's bizarre, crazy, you know? And, you know, and let, let's be clear, these, these men that are injecting women and spiking their drinks, this, these are rapists, you know? These are trying to, you know, make these women incoherent and... and um, numb to everything so that they can abuse them and, and, and rape them and stuff so this is something they need to get on top of I mean the spiking of drinks that's all that's been the thing for many years but injecting people injecting people in clubs and it's just I don't get it um, but um, the nighttime industry association are working with police and councils in regards to safeguarding women um, safe, safeguarding all customers really but in particularly women um, glad to say two men have been arrested um, as part of an ongoing investigation um, for spiking incidents in Nottingham. Um, both young men as well, 18 and 19. Um, so, yeah, they, they are trying to grapple with it. Um, I, you know, I haven't heard about what type of substance people have been injected with. You know, you're just hearing that people have been injected. But I'd be interested to hear what specific substance they're, they're using. Because um, some of these substances that people use to knock people out, you give if it's just a little bit too much, you know, people die. You know, so so yeah, they need to get a grip on this um, quickly. Um, I think they've, they've said like 140 uh, reported cases between September and October of spiking, um, and 24 of them were of, of injecting. So yeah, it's a massive problem, massive, massive problem. Um, so yeah, you know, if you got, you know, if you're out clubbing, you know, especially females, you know, be really mindful of what you're doing, what you're drinking, who you're around, and and yeah, just be really more mindful than ever, I suppose. So yeah, um, so going on to Agnes Wanjaro, um, it's a young lady um, from Kenya who who was um, murdered in 2012. Um, and it's been an ongoing case. Um, I hadn't heard too much. I hadn't heard too much about it. Um, little bits here and there. Um, but yeah, this, so it's been going on for that amount of time. Uh, the the defence, the UK defence military people um, said that they've been co cooperating with the Kenyan inquiry, um, but. The, this is contrary to what's being said in Kenya, pretty much. Um, so, you know, something's amiss. But I'm glad it's, come, it's coming more to light again and people are talking about it a bit more because, obviously, the, the, the family of this young lady who was 21 at the time and had a five-month-year-old daughter, um, they haven't got the money, really, to, to, to fight things, you know. So it needs people to get involved and speak about it and, and kind of bring things to the light and to the forefront. Otherwise, these things just happen and people just forget, you know, it's on another continent, um, you know, not too much details, not too much publicity. But the fact that we're talking about potentially British soldiers being involved, um, allegedly involved in this, um, it's, it's important that, you know, the truth comes out and, you know, if, if British soldiers are guilty of it, they need to be brought to justice. If they're not, then we need to still look to see who's responsible for the murder of this, this young girl, um, young mother, you know. 
um, at that. So, so yeah. Um, so basically, I think the the story is that um, you know, she, like I said, she's twenty one, young daughter, young child, daughter, um, but she became a sex worker um, to look after her baby. Um, and witnesses last witness seeing her on the thirty first of March, twenty twelve, um, where she was walking um, through the through the town accompanied by two British soldiers. You know, so um, and then later her body was discovered behind a room where um, British soldiers had stayed. Um, and, you know, it, there were stab wounds in the body. It was in a, like a septic tank, stab wounds and like, missing body parts as well. So, <sighs> yeah, it, um, it's, it's, it's serious, serious stuff. And the fact that it's, it's still ongoing since 2012 is, is, is a lot. Um, a Kenyan judge... Um, concluded after an inquest in 2019 that uh, Miss Winjaro had been murdered by one or two British soldiers. So, you know, the legal system in Kenya is very clear. You know, she was murdered by at least one British soldier, if not two. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's assault. I mean, I think the Sunday Times um, wrote something about this recently as well, um, where a soldier... Had told the Sunday Times um, that the killer had confessed to him, and he reported it to the army, and the army failed to um, initiate to initially um, investigate. So you know something's not right here. You know you've got British soldiers talking about other British soldiers confirming that somebody has confessed to it. So. You know, I, I think it's a lot clearer than it was. So this needs to stay at the forefront of, you know, the legal minds, etc., and needs to be addressed for sure. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye on what what happens moving forward with that case because that's that's a really sad case. And I think there are um, GoFundMe um, things set up in regards to uh, supporting um, her young child. Um, so yeah. So you can look online and you can donate towards that as well. Um, so back to the UK, um, what's been going on? We've had the COP26 in Glasgow, um, definitely needed, you know, all of these dramatic weather events that have happened over the past year haven't missed me at all. Uh, you know, I've seen it in my garden, my little space, I've seen things are moving different from five years ago. You know, you, you can't really predict how you're gonna, how your stuff's gonna grow, and things like, that. and they, yeah, it's been just quite extreme. So I've seen it in my little green space, but globally, we've all seen it across the news, all the different things that let us know that um, something needs to be done in regards to climate change, etc. So hopefully, some good comes of this global meeting, um, and the, you know, the countries and the powers that be can make some significant changes in each of their countries. You know, um, so that we're not leaving a, you know, a ruined planet for our children, grandchildren, and great grandchildren. You know, so hopefully some good comes of all of that for sure. So going back to Facebook, as I said, um, Facebook um, with all of the money and all of the control they have, you know, having WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook, they they have now. Um, change the name of their parent company. So it won't be just Facebook being the parent company. The parent company is now called Meta. Um, and it's all part of their their new 
chapter, basically. You know, they've got a 3D uh, metaverse that they've created, um, and that's where they see the, the future of the internet going. Um, and on the meta metaverse, um, people can game, people can work, they can commute, they can communicate in a virtual environment using um, VR headsets and things like that. All really space age. But to be fair, I remember um, Nintendo Wii years ago um, kind of uh, started doing something like this. Maybe not to the, the level where Facebook's taking it now, but the beginnings of that, you know, where you had your little, um, you, yeah, you had these little people that represented you on the screen and you could actually uh, move that character around and connect with other people and other machines. And so I didn't really use it for that part, but I do remember seeing it. But yeah, Facebook is um, taking that to the next level. So we'll see how that all pans out. But my thing is, going back to um, the racism online and Instagram, if you've got money to create metaverses and you know you own all of these platforms that are... Uh, the technology is mind-boggling what you can do. You know, to stop and address the racial issue and the abuse issue online on these platforms, uh, it should be light work. It should be very easy, and I believe it's very easy. I think people are just not choosing to do it, but time will tell. Time will tell how that goes. So, TV, the TV side of things, the screen side of things, a couple of things I'm looking forward to watching. Um, Colin in Black and White, Netflix bio series telling the story of um, Colin Kaepernick. I don't really know his story other than, you know, him taking the knee and, you know, all he went through with the NFL. But it'd be interesting to hear his story, you know, from being a, a young person, not just from, you know, 2016 when he, he decided to protest by taking the knee. So I look forward to watching that. Also, um, this new um, film called Passing, which comes out on the 10th of November on Netflix as well. Um, so it basically follows two, two black women um, living in the 1920s New York. Um, one of them is the, the, the character is Claire Kendry, played by Ruth Neger, um, who passes for white. Um, and her husband... Um, doesn't know that she's black. So it's based on a uh, 1929 book by Nella Larson. Um, so yeah, it, the film's received rave reviews. I've not seen a film that deals with that specifically. Um, but yeah, but I know obviously that sort of stuff definitely has gone on through the, through the years. Probably even now, to some, to some, to, to some extent, you know, where, where people don't know you know, where people are that pale that people would presume that they are white and actually they're not. So, so yeah, um, definitely looking out for that. Definitely looking out for that. So um, I just want to say also thank you to everybody that um, has continued to um, purchase um, some of the, the merchandise we've got online, um, especially the hoodies, um, the Unity Culture and History hoodies, um, and the t-shirts so thank you guys for that because it, it, every every little bit helps every little bit helps as as old time people say every mickle makes a mockle so yeah so thank you um so thank you again for choosing pablo's podcast today and hopefully you can join me on the next one until then take care and be nice to each other
Thank you for listening to Pablo's podcast. I'm Pablo from Hackney and you can catch me next week for more healthy discussion.